Hello, Eric Topol here, and what a privilege to have uh, as my guest, Al Gore, as we discuss uh, things that are considered existential threats. And that includes not just climate change, uh, but also recently uh, the concern about AI. No one has done more uh, on the planet to bring to the fore the concerns about climate change. And many people think that 2006 film, Inconvenient Truth, was the beginning, but it goes way back into the 1980s. So, Al, it's really great to have you put in perspective. Here we are with the, what's going on in Canada with more than 12 million um, acres of forest fires that are obviously uh, affecting the U.S. greatly, no less the surface temperature of the oceans and so many other signs that this climate change that you had warned us about decades ago is accelerating. So maybe we could start off, out. where are we with climate change and the climate reality? Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your podcast again, Eric. It's always a pleasure. And um especially because you're the host and uh, we, we, we have very interesting conversations uh, that aren't on the podcast. So I'm looking forward to this one. So to start with climate, uh, you know, the old cliche, there's good news and bad news. Uh, unfortunately, there's an abundance of bad news, uh, but there's also a, an awful lot of good news. Let me start with that first and then turn to the, to the more worrying uh, trends. Uh, we have seen the passage in the U.S. Uh, last August of the largest and most effective, uh, best-funded climate legislation passed by any nation in all of history. Uh, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act uh, is an extraordinary piece of legislation. Uh, it's billed as, uh, as allocating $369 billion to climate solutions, but actually the heavy lifting in that legislation is done by tax credits, most of which are open-ended and uncapped, and a few without any time limits, most of 10-year duration. Uh, and the enthusiastic uh, response to the legislation after uh, President Biden signed it has now made it clear that that early estimate of $369 billion is a lowball estimate because Goldman Sachs, for example, is predicting that uh, it will end up allocating $1.2 trillion to climate wow. solutions. A, a lot of other um, uh, investors and others using economic models uh, are estimating more than a trillion. So it's really a fantastic piece of legislation. Uh, and other nations uh, are beginning to, uh, to react and respond and copy it. One month after that law was passed, uh, the voters of Australia threw out their climate-denying uh, government and replaced it with a climate-friendly government, which immediately then set about passing legislation that adopts the same goals as the U.S. IRA in the Australian context, and they stopped uh, the biggest new coal mine there. And uh, anyway, one month after that, in October, the voters of Brazil threw out uh, their um, former president, uh, often called the Trump of the tropics, uh, and replaced him with a, a new president, a former president who's a new president who has pledged to protect uh, the Amazon. Uh, and the European Union, uh, in responding to the evil uh, and cruel invasion of Ukraine by Russia and the attempted blackmailing of 
nations in Europe dependent on Russian gas and oil, uh, responded uh, not by bending their knee to Vladimir Putin, but by saying, wait a minute, <laughs> this makes renewable energy freedom energy. And so they accelerated their transition. And so th these are all uh, yeah. excellent uh, signs and qualifies good news. The other good news uh, is not all that new, but it's still continuing to improve. And that is the astonishing reductions in cost for electricity produced by solar and wind mm. and the reductions in cost for energy storage, principally in batteries and electric vehicles uh, and a, a hundred other less well-known uh, technologies that are extremely important. We're in the midst of a, a early stages of a sustainability revolution that has the magnitude of the industrial revolution coupled with the speed of the digital revolution. And we're seeing it all over the place. It, it, it's really quite heartening. Uh, one quick example, the, last, the, the biggest single source of global warming pollution uh, is the generation of electricity with gas and coal. Well, last year, if you look at all the new electricity generation capacity uh, installed worldwide, 90% uh, of it was renewable. Uh, in, in India, 93% was solar and wind. Uh, and um, India's pledged not to give permits for any new coal burning plants for at least five years, which means never, probably, because this cost reduction curve, as I mentioned, is still continuing downward. Uh, electric vehicles, we're now seeing uh, that the purchases have reached 15% of the market globally. Uh, Norway's already at 50. They've actually outlawed uh, the sale of any new internal combustion engines. And indeed, many national and even uh, uh, municipal uh, and state jurisdictions ha have prospectively served notice that uh, they you won't be able to buy them uh, after a certain date, 2030 uh, in, in many cases. Um, and the auto companies uh, and truck and bus companies have long since diverted their research money, uh, all their R&D is going into EVs now. And that's the second largest source uh, of uh, global warming pollution. I could go through the others, but yeah. I won't. I'll just tell you that uh, th there is a lot of good news. Now, the bad news is we're still seeing the crisis get worse faster than we're deploying all of these solutions. Uh, and the, the inertia in our uh, political and economic systems is partly um, a direct result of uh, huge uh, uh, amounts of lobbying and campaign contributions and the deft uh, utilization of uh, centuries, a, a century-old network of political and economic influence uh, built up by the fossil fuel industry. Um, and they're opposing every single uh, solution uh, at the state level, the local level, the national level, the international level. Now this uh, COP28 coming up uh, at the end of the year in uh, the United Arab Emirates is actually chaired by a an oil and gas company CEO. It's preposterous. Uh, and they already have, uh, in the last two cops, more lobbyists registered as as participants than all than the 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 five or six largest national delegations combined. 
Uh, and we're seeing uh, them uh, really oppose uh, this change. And meanwhile, the manifestations of the crisis are steadily worsening. You mentioned the uh, fires in uh, Canada that are predicted to burn all summer long. And I was in New York City last week. And you know from the news stories, uh, it, it was uh, horrific. I got there the day after the worst day. Oh, my gosh. But uh, I saw and uh, heard from people just the tremendous problems that people have. It's also going on in Siberia, by the way. And these places that are typically beyond the reach of uh, TV crews and networks that don't capture our attention unless something happens to blow the smoke to where we live. Uh, and that's what's happened here. But there are many other extremely worrying uh, uh, manifestations that aren't getting much attention. Yeah. Uh, I do think we're going to solve this, Eric. Uh, I'm very optimistic. Uh, but the question is whether we will solve it in time. We are, uh, what's the right way to say this? Uh, we're tiptoeing through a minefield with tripwires and toward the edge of a cliff. I don't want to torture the metaphor, but uh, actually there are uh, several uh, extremely dangerous uh, um, uh, threats to ecological systems that are in a state of balance now and are being pushed uh, uh, out of their equilibrium state into uh, a different format, the, the ocean currents. We're already seeing it with the uh, jet stream in the northern hemisphere. You may have seen on the weather uh, maps, they're now using these a lot, where it's getting loopier and more disorganized. That's what uh, the last few winters has has pulled, these big loops have pulled Arctic air down into uh, areas far south in the U.S. Uh, and in other uh, regions, by the way. Uh, and it, it is, it, it, it's making a lot of the extreme events worse. Now we're entering an El Nino uh, uh, phase in the Pacific Ocean, comes around every so often, you know, and this one is predicted to be a strong one. And that's going to have that's going to accentuate the temperature yeah. increase. You know, it was 110 degrees last week in uh, Puerto Rico, 111 degrees in several countries in Southeast Asia in the spring. La last uh, summer, China had a heat wave that the historians say, uh, about which the historians say there's nothing even minimally comparable in all prior known history in the length, the extent, the duration, the intensity. Um, and we saw Pakistan under three quarters, uh, two thirds of Pakistan underwater for an extended period of time. I could go on. Oh, but, I know. I know. Uh, the, the, it, when you net net and balance out the good news and the bad news, um, we are gaining momentum and soon we are going to be gaining uh, on the crisis itself uh, and start deploying solutions faster than it's getting worse. So I remain optimistic, and I, I, I always remind people, you know, if you doubt we have the political will to see this through, remember that political will is itself a renewable resource. Yeah, well, that's a great optimistic point, and we sure appreciate that because it's pretty scary to see these trends that you reviewed. Now, as you know, uh, recently um, there was a large group of AI scientists, uh, this one led by Sam Altman of OpenAI, who put out a statement, a one-sentence statement, and it said, mitigating the risk of extinction from AI, which you and I are 
uh, enthusiastic about should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. Well, obviously also climate change. So how do you see uh, the AI intersection of climate change? Because as you well know, GPT-4 having you set, pre-trained with some 30,000 graphic processing units, the issues about consumption of energy, uh, carbon emissions, the need for water cooling. Is AI going to make this situation worse or will it make it better? <laughs> well, climate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I understand. Um, well, both uh, <laughs> it would be my answer. Uh, and we don't have enough data yet to really know for sure uh, which way it will tip. Uh, um, Maybe we'll talk about the uh, existential risks from uh, generative AI uh, as this yeah. conversation uh, continues. There are many who have spoken up and said, well, wait a minute, before we uh, focus on that, we need to look at the risks that are right <laughs> staring us right in the face. I mean, the use of these AI-driven algorithms, not necessarily generative AI, but the uh, AI-driven algorithms in social media. Uh, are causing tremendous harm right now. Uh, you've heard about the rabbit holes that people get drawn down into on the internet. That's because of the AI-driven algorithms uh, and the tracking of confidential information about what people are looking at uh, and what they're interested in. And these uh, rabbit holes are a little bit, not to shift metaphors, a little bit like pitcher plants in that uh, they have slippery slides and Oh, and you know what's at the bottom of the rabbit hole? That's where the echo chamber is. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you spend long enough in the echo chamber, then those who are uh, feeding the information to you weaponize a new form of AI, not artificial intelligence, artificial insanity. Uh, right. and, and we see it uh, all over the place where people are utterly convinced uh, of completely ridiculous and provably false conclusions. Um, and, and motivated to go out and act in the real world on, on that basis. Uh, we, we see uh, the, the deep fakes and the concerns about uh, video and audio uh, deep fakes and how that's uh, going to have an impact on us and, and all uh, manner of other uh, concerns that need to, need to be addressed. But the existential threat is one that I do want to come back to. But, but turning to your specific focus on whether it is going to help or hurt or both where climate is concerned, I have uh, co-founded a coalition called Climate Trace that uses AI uh, in, a, in an extremely effective, beneficial way. Uh, Trace stands for Tracking Real-Time Atmospheric Carbon Emissions. Mm. And we have a coalition of uh, AI uh, firms, NGOs, uh, university groups. Uh, and uh, the whole coalition works together to identify with AI the point source of every single significant stream of emissions of global warming pollution everywhere on the planet. Uh, we released it at the last uh, United Nations conference, the one that was held in Egypt last year, uh, the, uh, the, the top 72,000 uh, emission point sources around the world. This fall, we will release the top 70 million emission sources. 
Uh, we also have uh, every agricultural field in the world down to a 10 meter by 10 meter resolution. We have all every single power plant, all the steel mills, every large ship, every large plane, um, uh, most every, uh, well, we have all of the significant greenhouse gas emissions. That would have not, that would not have been possible without AI. Now, this is not generative AI. We have used generative AI, uh, not ChatGPT. We, we tried that, but there are others that are actually more proficient in the views of our team members at writing code. It has saved us time and enhanced our productivity in, in writing code. Um, so that's one example where AI has uh, been a big help. And we see it in modeling and we see it in uh, the preparation for adaptation and in other ways. Now, the downside is you said in your inter introductory uh, uh, phrasing that the energy requirements and the emissions are just enormous uh, because it is an extremely energy intensive uh, exercise. Um, and you have to have uh, uh, the, 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 the GPUs uh, as well as the uh, energy. So it's, uh, you could call it uh, um, oligopogenic. Uh, it, 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 uh, that's, th that may not be a word. It may be a hallucination <laughs> uh, like GPT is famous for. But what I mean is it, it does uh, tend to favor a, a very small number of very wealthy, very powerful, very large companies. Basically, Google and Microsoft uh, are, are driving uh, uh, the, the rest of the world to, to try to, uh, to, to desperately uh, catch up. Uh, you know, the uh, uh, CEO of uh, Microsoft, they stole a march on Google uh, uh, with the release of uh, Chat GPT, and then uh, <laughs> that fascinated people and the pickup and use of GPT is just, it, it's, uh, there's been nothing like it in yeah. previous technological history. Uh, and the CEO said that he wanted to make, uh, call Google out and make them dance. Well, um, uh, you know, Peggy Noonan said in one of her columns, that's not a responsible way for the CEO of such a company to talk. I, I like him and I'm not really taking a poke at him insofar as I'm making the point that they're really two companies and the, the internal dynamic between the two is driving yeah. this uh, frenzy of investment and activity and the underlying uh, platform, the large language models, they're almost a commodity now. They're all over the place and have been for a while. But the need for the GPUs, the need for the energy consumption, that's limiting the, the, the cutting edge developments uh, to these two companies for now. China right. doesn't trust it because they don't trust uh, the enhanced political influence it might give those using it or the enhanced insight. And uh, there are uh, others that will try to find a way to use it, of course. Uh, but the, the emissions itself are extremely harmful. And the use uh, of... Uh, uh, generative AI uh, in the ha in the hands of uh, irresponsible actors, and unfortunately, uh, we're human beings, and we uh, uh, we have a lot of irresponsible actors around this 
around this country, around the world. Uh, and they could use that to really put climate disinformation into high gear. Uh, uh, they, they can use it in a variety of ways to uh, further uh, enhance the uh, disruption, the disruptive uh, tactics they've used in the past. Yeah, well, that's what I wanted to get into more on this. Um, we have, I think, you know, if you want to put an existential uh, risk at the highest level, maybe if you would assign 10 to climate change, uh, and you've brought up the fact that the large language models, generative AI, will work, make worse the things we've already seen, the, the hacking of democracy and all the, um, the, uh, the, the fake stuff that's uh, the conspiracy theories that will it will reinforce, and uh, the question is where are you where did you place the whole generative AI era that we've now entered in? Uh, if you were to weigh it against existential threat, you know, just other one other thing you you undoubtedly because you read more than anyone I know, you are a true scholar and you've read these doomsayer uh, essays about hacking a democracy and the end of the world. And some of the notable leaders in AI, like Jeffrey Hinton, to leave Google. Yeah. And so we have, on the one hand, some people saying this is a real threat to the world. And then we have Mark Andreessen, who wrote Why AI Will Save the World last week, uh, a long read on this. So where do, you, where do you see the existential threat of now that AI has gone into high gear, as you noted, more than a billion unique users of ChatGPT within 90 days, which is unprecedented. I mean, with nothing else is caps. even close in history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, do you see that um, this has been uh, exaggerated the risks of generative AI, or do you, I mean, how do you compare it to the climate um, change crisis? Well, um, it's a great question, Eric, and uh, of course. Uh, Lots of people we know are breaking their brains trying to answer that question. I think we need a little more experience with it uh, because our understanding is uh, going to uh, develop as we have more experience. But at the same time, we're trying to catch up in our basic understanding of what the heck's going on with these things. Uh, and they don't actually know. It's important to note they don't know how it's doing what it's doing. And I'll, I'll circle back to that. Yeah. Uh, but while we're trying to figure it out, it's continuing to advance at warp speed. Uh, chat GPT-4 uh, in the uh, cleverly titled, provocatively titled uh, research paper, uh, Sparks of Artificial General Intelligence that Microsoft uh, put out is already uh, demonstrating capacities that are shockingly uh, comparable to human uh, capacity, is the way they put it. This less than a year after um, uh, Google fired uh, a young researcher named Blake Lemoyne, who uh, said that he thought uh, theirs had become uh, sentient, uh, they, they fired him right away. These uh, uh, multiple co-authors of this paper from Microsoft weren't fired. <laughs> they're in charge of the thing. And they're basically saying uh, close to what uh, the guy at Google said who got fired. Um, 
I think that if you listen to Jeffrey Hinton, the so-called godfather of generative AI, and uh, there's there's so many there's there's so many uh, parents of uh, generative AI, but um, it, it, what caused him to change his mind, in his words, were when he realized uh, that it is very likely to become much smarter than we are, than the smartest uh, human beings uh, ever are. Uh, and uh, coupling that level of superintelligence, the phrase some of you, the word some of used, uh, with access to uh, all of the knowledge uh, that humanity has ever compiled, um, means there is uh, an unpredictable, unquantifiable risk that we might no longer be the apex life form uh, on this planet, and that it uh, might use that, it being a generative uh, AI, uh, might use that in ways that would be uh, threatening to us. I, I think we need more experience with it in, before we uh, decide, okay, that's it. We got to unplug all these uh, dang things and bust them up with sledgehammers. That's not going to happen uh, because there's so many different entities uh, pursuing it. But you know, I place this in a in the in the context of uh, one of the themes in uh, that runs through the history of science, uh, Eric, and that is uh, we have seen in the past new discoveries that have challenged our human understanding of our place in creation. For example, when Galileo said, the Earth's not the center of the universe, it's not the center of the solar system. Uh, the, the, the church, uh, the medieval, the, the, the church said, uh, ah, off to prison with you. They put him on trial uh, because that challenged uh, our prime place in what we had thought was God's design. Then Darwin, of course, placed us solidly in the animal kingdom, <laughs> descended uh, from, from primates and apes and monkeys. Uh, and of course, that <laughs> struggle is still going on. I, I used to represent uh, Dayton, Tennessee in the uh, United States House of Representatives, uh, where, where the, the Scopes trial <laughs> took place, the so-called monkey trial. And there have been a succession of other similar uh, blows to the collective ego uh, of humanity. Uh, we used to assume uh, confidently that the Earth was probably the only place in the whole universe that life, uh, where life emerged. And now the common assumption is it's ubiquitous uh, throughout the universe and maybe in advanced forms in lots and lots of places. And by the way, the universe isn't the only universe, they tell us now. The emerging better view is uh, uh, that uh, we're in a multiverse. And I'm not, that's all above my pay grade. <laughs> but within that within that continuum of successive blows to the collective ego of humanity, here comes an assertion that something other than a human being may be conscious. And our immediate reaction, as it as our predecessors' reactions were with Galileo and Darwin, etc., nah, that can't be. We're special. No, it can't be. We're the only ones. Well. Uh, maybe not. Uh, they are edging closer and closer to a point where scientists and engineers are likely to say, yep, it is 
conscious. Maybe it won't happen. I kind of think it is already beginning to happen. Uh, I I think there's an explanation for it, but we're going to have to catch up to that explanation. uh, (laughs) And we're going to have to build this airplane of regulation and safeguards uh, while we taxi it out to the runway. Well, you know, I share that view. Uh, You know, I don't think that continuing to say this is just a stochastic parrot is where we're at right now. It's a form of intelligence from machines that we haven't seen previously. And as you've really zoomed in on, this is the big uh, debate about the level of understanding the so-called world model. And, you know, this is something that is only going to get more um, uh, capable over time. And that gets me to kind of close the loop of our discussion. Do you foresee that we could get to a point where our machine help would come up with new solutions. I mean, as you've summarized, you have phenomenal AI tracking of climate change, but could you foresee that there are potential solutions that we haven't thought of that that generative AI could help us as humans to solve the climate crisis? Yeah, I think that's very likely. Um, uh, I, I don't, you know, one of the new professions that's just emerged is a, a prompt engineer. We'll have to have people trained in prompt, prompting these, uh, uh, these large language models uh, in a way that gets us to the kinds of, uh, of exchanges you're talking about. But we've, even before generative AI uh, arrived, we, we have had multiple examples of uh, artificial intelligence solving problems that we humans have not been able to solve. Uh, One example that I wrote about several years ago uh, was uh, the long-term effort to try to uh, decode the genetics uh, of a little thing called the planarium worm. It's been of extreme interest because it can regenerate every part of its uh, its body, uh, and in in such an efficient way, they've been trying to understand it. So uh, a group of scientists took all of the raw data from all of the failed experiments uh, collected during all of the failed experiments to try to solve that problem, fed them into an AI, and the AI said, okay, here's the answer. Uh, And and it was credited, uh, the AI agent was credited as one of the co-authors of the resulting study. We've had uh, we've had problems in fluid dynamics solved by artificial intelligence that uh, were impenetrable to us. So there's no question in my mind uh, that some of the solutions that we're looking for for the climate crisis uh, will be um, found with the assistance of, of generative AI. I'm, I'm I'm certain of that. Well, that adds to the optimism that we want to close it up with because we need that um, in the face of what we're seeing that's palpable every day regarding climate change. And, you know, I think uh, this discussion, uh, I, I could spend the whole day with you because it's so stimulating. And your, you know, ability to cite history as well as, you know, current and future perspective is, uh, in, for me, unparalleled. So I really enjoyed this discussion with you. And I hope we'll have another one real soon because this gender AI era is zooming like, I've never seen chat GPT, November, GPT-4 in March, and, you know, what's next here? So uh, G- uh, GPT-5 is coming in, in, in December, as you said. And, and, and b- before you conclude, Eric, l- let me just uh, 
give back to you my admiration for the work that you've been doing on the applications of generative AI in, in healthcare uh, and, and uh, the development of even better healthcare technologies. You're the leading uh, exponent of this whole field of knowledge now. And, uh, you know, you, you, you helped us get through the, our, our effort to understand the pandemic and all the twists and turns and all of that. And now you're uh, taking the lead on uh, the application of AI in healthcare. And thank you very much. Oh. I speak to a lot of people in saying that. Well, that's really kind of you. That's that's where my interest was before the pandemic. And now we, I, the good part is to be able to get back to it full force. But I do think, uh, unlike the overall existential concerns regarding AI and uh, the large language models of AI, the net benefit for healthcare is just much more obvious. Uh, yes, there are concerns, of course, regarding patient prompts, and getting inaccurate responses. However, what it can do for the, the medical community and for, for patient autonomy is, is really quite extraordinary. So in that regard, uh, another good way to, to um, sum up our, our discussion here, uh, because uh, that's a very, I'm very sanguine about as we get better about implementing AI in healthcare, it'll make a, a big difference, uh, particularly now with this multimodal AI that brings in the images, the, the records, the, uh, the, you know, the, the, all the data that voice, you know, the ambient voice of office visits, as well as even bedside rounds. It's, it's really quite exciting. And I know we're going to be talking about that some more in the months ahead. So, Al, thank you so much. Uh, you've you've brightened up this day because all I keep seeing are these apocalyptic photos of New York and what's going on out there, graphs of the oceans, uh, sea surface temperature, and I'm thinking, oh my, how we, we keep losing ground on what you told us about for decades. And I like hearing that you think there will be solutions uh, are and will be increasingly in sight to try to catch up to that. So thank you. Thank you, Eric.